Amazing. Thanks, Kath. Uh, keep that open. If you've got a handout service sheet, you'll find there's a little kind of overview of where we're going in these next um, few moments. Let me pray as we come to look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. Your word brought this world into being. And we pray that your word, by your spirit, would powerfully be working us to form in us a character that is Christ-like, to give us desires that are honouring to you, that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading um, an article this week by a missionary called Jen Oshman. She was talking about the evacuation of Americans from Afghanistan, and uh, apparently she said the US President Joe Biden said these words, be on the screen, uh, we will evacuate every American who wants to leave. And Jen Oshman was making the point that some people found that odd, want to leave. Surely every American wants to leave Afghanistan. But in her blog, Jen Oshman said this, that's not true, not every American does want to leave. She talked about a friend of hers who was in Afghanistan a few years back when the Taliban were last in control. And this friend was a Christian and she was a medic. Things were getting dangerous in the country and the American State Department said, again, you need to get out. But this friend of hers said, and it'll be on the screen, please do not make me leave Afghanistan. It will kill me if I have to leave. Oh, she's so determined to say, well, as Jen Oshman put it, she intended to give all her remaining days to provide medical care and the gospel to those living in Afghanistan. See, not all Americans wanted to leave. Some wanted to stay. Some wanted to risk their freedoms and their life. Why? So they could provide medical relief and the gospel. That is gutsy, isn't it? That takes some kind of courage. So, so what is it that gives someone that kind of desire to risk everything to tell people about Christ? Well, we've been thinking about our gospel mission over these last few weeks. We've seen that we need to first behold Christ in our hearts before we hold him out, before we preach him. Adoration before activity. We've seen that our gospel mission will be costly, that we have this treasure of Christ in jars of clay. We are breakable and broken. And now we think about why. Why stay in Afghanistan when the Taliban are in power? Why keep holding out the gospel? Why endure the cost? Well, three reasons that Paul gives us. Here we go. First, the fear of Christ motivates us. The fear of Christ motivates us. Have a look down at verse 11 if you've got your Bibles open. Since then, Paul writes, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now that, that seems like an odd thing to say, doesn't it? When we think about Jesus, we don't tend to think about being afraid. Jesus is kind, he's loving, he's gentle, he's patient. Like, what is, what is there to fear exactly? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, you can look back at what Paul has just said in verse 10 of chapter 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is our judge as well as our saviour. 
And one day, all of us, Christian or not, will have to stand before Christ and give an account for how we've lived. It's the fear of that day that motivates Paul, that motivates him to try and persuade others to believe the gospel. You know, it's, it's so easy, isn't it, to, to drift through life as Christians and, and see the people around us, our neighbours, our, our family, those that we work with, and think, look, if they choose to believe in Jesus, well, that's great. If they don't choose to believe in Jesus, well, that's fine as well. It's no big deal. So it's easy to have that mentality, isn't it, just to, to function like that. But of course, it is a big deal. That's what Paul is saying. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Without faith in Jesus, no one will survive that judgment. That is motivating, isn't it? Like Paul, the fear of Christ, the fear of standing before him in judgment should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to graciously and gently but persuasively encourage others to believe in Christ. But actually, the fear of the Lord means something else as well. If I fear Christ, it means his opinion matters most. Look at the rest of verse 11 and 12. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Paul is talking about these false teachers who were around in Corinth at the time. And the rest of the Corinthians gives you an impression of what they're like. You know, they're slick, they're, they've got credentials, they're great communicators. And with them, it's all about the outward appearance, looking good and sounding good before the world. For them, it's about building a reputation and a following. But Paul says, I fear the Lord. And what I am before him is what matters. He says, verse 11, what we are is plain to God. That's what matters. And verse 12, we care about the heart rather than outward appearance. The fear of the Lord means Paul cares more about what Jesus thinks than he does about what other people think of him. And there is something wonderfully liberating about that. Because we all feel that pressure to conform, don't we? The pressure to fit in. The pressure to be liked and well-respected. You guys who've just turned up at university, you're going to feel this strongly in the next few weeks. And sometimes it can be crippling and exhausting. We worry about saying the right thing on having the right opinions and dressing even in the right way. We worry about fulfilling other people's expectations of us and conforming to their standards. And it's exhausting having all of that go through your head. But Paul says, I fear the Lord. It's his opinion that matters most. And that is liberating. Because the things that Jesus cares about are the things that really matter. He cares about what is going on in our hearts. 
And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, don't look to the slickness of these other teachers. Don't look at their outward performance. Look at their heart and look at my heart. That's what Jesus cares about. Am I living honestly, honestly with, with truth and integrity? That is what Jesus is interested in. Am I filled with compassion and gentleness and patience? That's what the Lord loves. Do I treat my housemates well? Do I lay down my life for my wife? Do I honour my husband? Do I provide for my children and teach them? That is what Jesus delights in. When you fear the Lord, it is his opinion that matters most. And you know, that might mean you end up looking crazy to the rest of the world. That's what Paul says in verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Paul says, I know the world thinks I'm out of my mind. I know the world thinks I'm crazy to travel all around the place to share the gospel. I know the world thinks that I am mad to willingly face persecution and opposition and beatings for Christ. But it is not for the world that I do these things. It is for Jesus. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we follow Christ, if we fear him and his opinion above all else, then at times the world will think that we are crazy. I mean, just look at it from a non-Christian perspective. So, so let me get this straight. You're, you're a Christian. So, so you're saying that all your hopes and, and dreams are founded on a guy who lived 2,000 years ago and then died. Oh, he, he rose again. So, and what is, the, what is the evidence of that? What are you basing that on? Or, or you're basing it on a book that is 2,000 years old, written so long ago. Can, can you see Jesus today? No, you, you can't see him, can you? That sounds mad, doesn't it? It gets worse. You try and live your life according to the words in this book that was written 2,000 years ago. You, you, you would be willing to lose your reputation and your job, your freedom, because of what is written in this book. Are you actually mad? You're going to use some of your hard-earned money and give it to the church. You're going to avoid sex until you're married. You're going to stay in Afghanistan even when the Taliban have taken over you are mad. But Paul was not motivated by the opinion of others. He was motivated by the opinion of Christ. And so are we. The world might think that we are mad to hold on to Christ and to hold out Christ. But he is delighted in us. The fear of the Lord motivates us. Secondly, the love of Christ compels us. Have a look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Now, compel means, I guess, control. So, so why does Paul do it? Why does he risk everything to make Christ known? Because he is controlled by the love of Christ. That's odd, isn't it? Christ's love is controlling. 
We don't usually think of love as controlling, do we? It makes it sound kind of negative. But the reality is all love is controlling. If you've been in love, you'll know that. But, but the love of money, that controls us, doesn't it? It makes us greedy and ungenerous and workaholics or fearful that we might lose it. The love of image controls us. It drives us to the gym and to the shops. It makes us obsess about what we eat. The love of our children controls us, sometimes in a healthy way. We, we sacrifice for them, sometimes in an unhealthy way. We try and live our lives through them. But on and on we could go. Love is always controlling. So what kind of love is the love of Christ that controls us? We'll have a look at the rest of verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. The kind of love that Christ has is a selfless love. His love led him to the cross. His love led him to give up his life for others. He gave up his life for me and for you. That is love, isn't it? Almost 10 years ago, there was a tragic shooting in the States, uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School. And a gunman turned up and he started firing at staff and students. And there was one act of incredible bravery that stood out that day. As the gunman approached a teacher's classroom called Victoria Soto, she bundled her children into the corner of the classroom. And as he burst in, she stood in front of him. And the bullets hit her and the children were saved. The mayor of Sandy Hook, John Harkins, later said, and it'll be on the screen, of Victoria Soto, you have a teacher who cared more about her students than herself. Her children will grow up knowing that their teacher loved them. That is the kind of love that Christ has for us. He cared more about us than himself. He died that we might live. And when you have experienced that love, it does control you. It shapes you. Look what kind of life it leads to in verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. When I've encountered the love of Christ and I no longer live for myself, Paul puts it even more strongly in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I no longer live. I am a new creation in Christ. And that new self, that no longer living for me self, is shaped by Christ. Listen again to verse 15. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who gave his life up for them. The old has gone, and now I live for Jesus. It is the love of Christ that controls me, that shapes me, that transforms me. His selfless, sacrificial love, that is what now courses through my veins as a believer. The compassion of Christ on all those who are lost and without hope, that begins to fill my heart. 
the patience of Christ towards all those who start off so hostile and indifferent to the gospel. That is at work in me. And the yearning of Christ that all should find life in him becomes my yearning. The love of Christ controls me and shapes me. That is what motivates Paul in gospel ministry. The love of Christ compels him. See, as Christians, why don't we just conform to the world around? Why don't we just fit in? Why don't we just keep our head down and keep our faith to ourselves? Because we can't. The love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and speak for him. Why must we get involved in the messiness of other people's lives? Why must we care about the self-absorbed, the hard-hearted, the Muslim living in Afghanistan or the criminal in jail? Why can't we just live a peaceful life? Because the love of Christ compels us. He loved me and gave himself up for me. And that love now controls and shapes me. The fear of Christ motivates us. The love of Christ compels us to keep speaking. And finally, the urgency of the message drives us. Now have a look down at verse 18. Paul says, all this is from God. All this. He's he's looking back at what he's just been saying. All this being new creations having new life in Christ, experiencing the love of Christ, the new family that we are now brought into, all this and more. Where does it come from, Paul says? All this is from God. I just want to pause here for a moment. Paul is saying something quite important. You see, life, lasting, true, meaningful, judgment-saving life is only ours when we live in relationship with God. He is the source of all life. Without him, we cannot have all this that Paul is talking about. It's like um, a plant and the sun. Now, Laura and I, just to be honest with you, we are useless with houseplants. Uh, Laura used to work for a gardening magazine, but that doesn't seem to help. We've even had to set up this, this kind of plant hospital in our lounge where we've gathered all of the withering plants and put them in one place to see if we can care for them. The survival rate is so far isn't great. But, but there are some basics about plants that I do get. If they're going to grow and flourish, they need sunlight. Put, it, put a house plant in the cupboard and within a couple of weeks it, it would have shriveled up and died. To live, the plant needs to be in the presence of the sun. And so it is with us. The Lord is like the sun. If we are going to live, truly live, eternally live, if we are going to enjoy the all this that Paul speaks of, we need to be in the blazing glory of the presence of the Lord. But the reality is, left to ourselves, we live in the darkness of the cupboard. We shun the Lord and his light. We have made an enemy of God. We have turned away from him and he has turned away from us. And that means, left to ourselves, there is only hostility between us and the God of life. 
but in his love. What does God do? Verse 18. All this is from God who has reconciled himself to us through Christ. That is the heart of the gospel message. The truth of the Christian faith. God has reconciled himself to us. And just look how complete and how wonderful that reconciliation, that bringing back together is. Paul describes it in verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what this verse is saying? All that is ours becomes Christ's, our sin. And all that is his becomes ours, his righteous standing before the Father. I'm going to illustrate this. It's like a, it's like a marriage. You know some people talk about marrying up. You married someone out of your league. I think I married up. That, that's what people keep telling me. People say to me, you're so fortunate to be married to Laura. And I agree. It, it turns out, though, that it doesn't work the other way around. People don't often say the equivalent to Laura. You're so fortunate to be married to him. So I, we all know I've married up. And the joy of it for me is that when, I, when we got married, everything that was Laura's became mine, and she had some great stuff. It all became mine. And all that I had, that, that student debt, that kind of became hers. That's marriage. There's more to marriage than that. But, but that, is, that is what goes on in marriage. What is yours becomes hers and hers becomes yours. And when we put our faith in Jesus, it is as if we become married to him. If I put my faith in him, then all that is mine becomes his. My sin, my self-centeredness that has caused so much pain, the judgment that my sin deserves, it becomes Christ's. He became sin for us. And what is his becomes mine. His right standing before the Father, his sonship, his place in the family, his victory over death and so much more becomes mine. We become the righteousness of God. So when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees his son. He sees me as righteous. And that means I am fully reconciled to God. Just as there is no hostility between the Father and the Son, so there is no hostility between God the Father and us. Just as there is this bond, this deep connection of love and joy and happiness between the Father and the Son, so there is a bond of love and joy and happiness between us and God. We are reconciled. The Lord has brought us back into the blazing sun of his presence so that we might flourish and find life. Verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And that is the message we get to take to the world. Paul says in 18, God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. He says in verse 19, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He says in verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul got to say to the world, you can be reconciled to God through Christ. And there's a sense in which we have the same job. We get the same message. 
to tell the world to be reconciled, to turn to God and find salvation and forgiveness in him. It's worth saying, if you've never done that, then this morning is a great time to do it. Put your faith in Jesus and all this, life, joy, hope, forgiveness, eternity with Christ, can be yours. And the thing is, and this is where I want to end, there is an urgency to this message. An urgency to respond if you haven't yet, and an urgency to share if this message with others. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What is Paul saying? Respond now, is what he's saying. Be reconciled now, because now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. He's saying that people will not always have an opportunity to be reconciled to God. This moment won't last beyond our death or the return of Christ. And so there is an urgency to this message. You, you, you sense it in, in Paul's language. Now is the time to believe. Now is the time to share this message. The urgency of the message drives us. At the beginning, I was talking about this aid worker in Afghanistan who, who a few years back refused to leave the country when the Taliban were last in power. She said she wanted to stay and give medical aid and the gospel to all who were there. A short while after she was told to come home, a member of the Taliban went into the medical center where she was helping with a gun hidden in a sling on his arm. He took out the gun and opened fire. She was one of several killed in the clinic. What's really interesting is the shooter later said why he did it. Beyond the screen, he said this, if they kept doing what they were doing, the whole country would believe in Jesus. Why would you go to a country like that? Why would you risk all to hold out the gospel for Christ? Because the fear of the Lord motivates you. Because the love of Christ compels you and the urgency of the message drives you so that all would come to believe in Jesus. There's our gospel mission. A moment of quiet and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we have thought about some incredibly big things this morning. We have thought about the call on our lives. Not only to hold on to Christ, but to hold him out to the world. Thought about the risks that that might involve. But Father, we pray that what Paul talks about here would sink deep into our hearts. That we would fear Christ above all else that we would cherish his opinion above the opinion of others. 
that we would be controlled and shaped by the love of Christ and so driven out to share the good news with others that they too might know this wonderful love. And may we have a sense of the urgency of this message. Now is the time for salvation. Lord, give us courage. Give us gentleness and kindness. Give us persuasive words. Give us opportunities that we might see many, many, many come to faith in Christ. In his name, amen.